0: Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Langston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems follow them at reconditioning hq on twitter instagram and facebook or become a member of their facebook group reconditioning hq revolution and join the reconditioning revolution i want to take a minute to connect you to our newest sponsor Zenkai sports who are here with a question for you why do we sweat Our body is perfectly designed to cool us down, but most apparel companies use moisture-wicking fabrics that remove our sweat, which makes us overheat faster and actually hurts our performance. Zenkai uses cutting-edge technology that repels sweat and other liquids. Zenkai Apparel lets the sweat stay on your skin, keeping you cool for longer and repelling odor-causing bacteria. This means Zenkai Apparel can be worn 10, 15, 20 times with no washing required. This lowers your carbon footprint and saves money so you can be a hero with your planet and your family. Join the revolution for better apparel technology. What's in your ZNA? We've partnered with Zenkai, so if you head over to www.zenkaisports.com and use the discount code LYM20 you'll get 20% off your entire order. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston and today I have the privilege of speaking with Mark Fitzgerald. Mark is the owner and founder of Elite Training Systems Performance Center based out of Toronto and Southern Ontario. He is part of a fraternity of Canadian strength and conditioning coaches who have changed the foundation of physical performance in the National Hockey League. He served for four seasons as the head of performance the anaheim ducks and he is the lead training advisor for under armor canada and a member of under Armour's international training team he comes from a working class family and his dedication to work ethic has allowed him to build a thriving business train athletes at every level innovate at the highest levels of performance all while managing to keep it all together as a father of three i am pleased to have his time today welcome mark
1: wow i don't know how to uh
0: <laughs> i feel kind of uh humbled i guess <laughs> with all that stuff <laughs> well the last part is the most sounds humble. a lot better than it is father of three is a <laughs> in way's book is an interesting uh reality so <laughs> i'm sure we can yeah hear that. that is uh challenging in itself of itself i li- yeah you might
1: hear uh some rumblings in the background so i apologize <laughs> <laughs>
0: To prepare for this thing, I actually listened to you uh, chat with Brett Bartholomew a little bit, so it was uh, good to get a lot of insights into your your life and stuff. And I actually want to sort of pick up and not use kind of use Brett's uh, podcast as a little bit of an intro to you. And if people are who are listening to this, Brett's doing a great job with his podcast as well. And I think uh, he and Mark covered a lot of interesting things about Mark's life. But uh, what? <laughs> How have you grown as a coach in the past 15 years, of, since starting as a professional? And, and now, what, what has changed about the way you approach your work now, comparatively speaking to 15 years ago?
1: That's a really good question. And I agree. I think Brett's doing a, a great job and he's bringing a lot of light to you know strength conditioning field and, and things that we need to, we as in all coaches need to focus on. So I definitely agree with you there. How have I evolved, changed, what have you? I think so, there's a, there's so many things. I think number one, as a young coach, and I, I wouldn't say a lot of coaches do this, but maybe in some way, shape, or form, it's it's not about coaches. I, mean, I know myself as a young coach, I just thought a little bit too much about myself, and you know, these are my athletes. This is my program. This is you know, just the way that. I vocalized it, even if it was just internally, whereas now, you know, going through a lot of learning experiences and a lot of mistakes, uh, more than anything, and just a lot of life, you know, I think it kind of teaches you that, you know, it's not about you, especially as a coach. It's about your athletes and, and it's about what's best for them, not just for, you know, the eight weeks or 12 weeks that you have with them but it's the 12 months it's their lives it's the portion of their lives that you're you know lucky enough to be a part of and i think not just athletes but you know our, our regular clients too and friends or whatever whatever um aspect you want to talk about it's you know the more i realize that it's not about me it's about what i can bring to that athlete's life in a positive way that will last longer than the 8 to 12 weeks that I'm with them uh, especially speaking about hockey and I think that growth is really it's hard to say that to young coaches because it's just the mind frame and mindset and I, I still consider myself young but I think it's one of those things where a lot of the coaches that approach me and email me for help and all this stuff and career advice, which is awesome. I love doing it. You know, it, it's hard to express that. I think I'm getting a little bit better at it, but it's hard to express that, you know, the be humble or the humility those are cliches they're, they're too, a little too easy and a little too broad, but to really make sure that you're in this field for the right reasons. And to me, it's always been the, the, the base of helping people. And I really enjoyed that part of it. And yeah, hey, sets and reps and working with really special athletes. Yeah, that's that's great. That's all part of it. But at the end of the day, it's helping people. I don't think it's missed from some coaches. And even was missed by myself when I was younger. And um, I think the, the more that you grow and you realize that, that it's, it's not just sets and reps. There's so much more to it. Uh, and I, I feel like I caught that early enough to really, um, enjoy it and realize it. And I think that's a pretty powerful realization uh, as a coach. And I think once you get to that, uh, it could, and it could be young, there's coaches that are, you know, super gifted and super mature in their coaching at an earlier age that get it. I wouldn't say I was one of them. Uh, I, like I said, uh, you know, there was mistakes that I made in terms of relationships and stuff like that. But I think that's at the heart of it is just realizing that you are part of the process and it's not about you. It is about what's in front of the athlete, what's best for the athlete. And I think that's a that's a big one for a lot of coaches.
0: Is there a particular client experience and you don't have to name names, but one that maybe really critically changed the way you look at things or, or affected you in a way that was maybe difficult, but also at the same time positive or, or growth or life changing in some sense?
1: I mean, there's so many I think I don't know if one really comes to mind. I think there's you draw some take with you or, or at least I do uh you know i I work with a lot of athletes or a few athletes that have gone through some you know personal stuff depression and anxiety and those things, and obviously those are very difficult but very eye opening in the fact that you know on Saturday night, hockey night in Canada or, or, Monday night football, these athletes are built up to be these superhuman, you know, machines. And they couldn't be further from that. You know, when you use, you, when you spend the time with them, that guys like you, you and me do, you realize the fragility of it, or you realize that, um, you know, that they're just people and yes, they have great talents. They have, you know, superhuman capabilities in 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 a lot of things, um, but you know, you realize the human aspect of it. And you know, going through some athletes with the you know mental um, health related stuff was probably that was a big eye opener for me. Because again, I go back to what I just said: is you know, they have a couple million dollars in the bank. They're they're well on their way to having a hell of a lot more you know, they seem to have the life of that everybody wants, especially if you're from a town like Whitby, you know, we have 130,000 people and 15 hockey rinks. So it, it's, it's just absurd. Right. And that's, you know, that's, you've made it if you've gotten an NHL contract and that's not always the case for people. And, you know, I think a lot of the young athletes coming up in, in these types of hockey communities are the pressure is immense hmm. and, you know, it's something that I think about with my kids and my, my seven-year-old son is a good little athlete. And, you know, we get a lot of pulls. Oh, let, you know, make him play this sport, make him play club this and in you know, travel teams. And I'm, I'm the furthest thing from that. He's going to play every sport. In my opinion, he's going to get exposures to all these sports and really develop his athleticism. Whether it works or not, uh, I don't know, but from the research that I've done and and my background, I I feel like I'm, you know, going to help him in that, but you know, he's also a very smart boy. He does well in school. He's, you know, I'm trying to make him well-rounded and I think a lot of the athletes that I come in contact with are not so well-rounded and that's not a shot, you know, at them as people, it's just their environment of, Hey, you're going to play this sport and this is going to be your life, whether you like it or not, or whether you choose it or not. And, you know, to see people kind of fight that or get to a point in their lives and they realize that, hey, maybe this isn't the path that I want, you know, and that's uh, that's pretty powerful to be in, the, you know, in the environment with that athlete when those kind of realizations happen. And I think that's you, know, you realize, again, that they're just people you know they're just people and they you know they play their sport or they you know they create their act or they participate in their activity whatever that is and that doesn't define who they are it's just a piece of it and I think that's probably the biggest lesson I took from you know the ups and downs of uh, either whether it's mental illness or personal problems or you know just life happening to people just because they're athletes doesn't mean they avoid life like Mm -hmm. divorce and separation all those types of things and family you know and I think my experience with the Ducks was uh, was was good in a lot of ways um, just because a lot of the guys were closer to my age so we all had a lot of connections with our kids you know and that was a that was pretty cool to see and to lean on guys on the team that had kids that were my age that went through some of the stuff you know so it was each each experience like I said before was it was kind of um, kind of feeding that experiential thing for me in terms of you know just going through things with people and, and trying to figure out what the best path is for each individual and it's not not easy
0: mm-hmm. you and i grew up in a country that's madly as you just talked about possessed by a sport called hockey and um, we both experienced not playing but uh, at that level but working in the national hockey league and i'm just curious what you're in some sense call it expectations desires uh your your vision of the shiny red ferrari as i call it was before you did it and then when you got into it and and what you've experienced since uh, since doing it uh, and how that's changed because i think you know the listeners um maybe often younger practitioners there's this kind of you know desire that's where they want to get to but they don't always understand what it's all about and uh, I'd just love to hear, you know, your, your take on your experience from maybe not start to finish, but certainly, you know, the, the circuitous path.
1: Yeah. You know, it, I worked for the, for the Maple Leafs organization for seven years and that was, it was pretty amazing, you know, growing up being one of those kids that wanted to be on you know hockey night in Canada and obviously coming to the realization relatively early that I wasn't going to be on there for my hockey prowess. Um so it was, it was kind of a shift of, okay, if I can't get on there as being a hockey player, maybe there's other ways. Um, when I came out of school, it was, you know, you didn't really get a job as a strength coach. And I know you were one of the guys that kind of uh, blazed that path, which I'm very grateful for. But when I came out, I was supply teaching and, and you know, coaching football and not really thinking about a job in strength and conditioning. You know, it was my brother's a police officer. My other brother's a firefighter. So, uh, you know, we are probably going to be the 911 family and um, I'd probably get into that at some point, you know, and which is a very honorable job. And I'm very thankful that I didn't do it, but just not my personality. Um, but, you know, working for the Leafs was was amazing and, uh, you know, class organization. And, 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 you know, I got treated really well. And I think I got thrust into that position I don't know if I was qualified for it at the time, but I had the people skills and I had, you know, the the ability to learn and the ability to adapt and some really, really good people around me. So it was, it was something that worked out well. And by the time my time was done there, I was, you know, growing my business and, and looking to kind of move on. And I thought when I resigned there, I, I kind of left the team thing behind. I didn't really have any, you know, goals of kind of getting to the nhl i just i saw it i saw it with um my boss at the time who was the head guy for the leaps and all the stuff that he was going through and it just wasn't you know as as glamorous as it was and um you know i i kind of said in my head yeah i don't need to be in the nhl I, I i way rather like the private side and i had people in the private industry that were telling me the same like yeah don't do the team thing so you know i i got into that and then you know mid July comes along a year later and I get a phone call. And, you know, hey that these people are interested in you. Do you want to talk to them? And you know what I think I think I said in a in a interview before, but I think the decision to come to Anaheim, move my family, part of it was, you know, when I asked my wife, it was adventure. We have a young family, nobody's in school yet. We had twins that were just a year old and my son was three, you know, so we were kind of mobile to some degree. And another part of it was my ego. I'm not going to lie. That was, you know, Hey, someone calls like that and offers you a pretty good offer. Uh, you know, it was, it was tough to say no. And, you know, I had a good business going and, and luckily I had really good people and I still do. Um, and I think that was, that made the decision a little bit easier as well. Um, you know, I got advice and I know you're friends with him as well as Todd Durkin, you know, you don't, you don't know if you have a business until you remove yourself from the business. And I think that was a, in an odd way, that was a challenge that I wanted to take. And you don't really get to do that too many times in business to say, Hey, I'm going to remove, you know, the, the guy that started this. And, you know, I, I found out that I did have a business cause I was able to Kind of step away, and it and it kept itself going, and and it probably did better without me. So uh, (laughs) that was was the big plus. (laughs) I should have done it sooner, I guess. Um, but yeah, so you know, going and and at the time when I got when I said yes to the Anaheim job, we basically up and moved our family in 30 days. You know, and it was kind of a whirlwind. It was a whirlwind, and again, I think. Like I said before, it was some adventure, it was some ego for sure. And I also looked at it as, hey, I want to do something and give my kids a cool experience and, and stuff like that. I didn't really think, to be honest, about the the actual job because, hmm. again, maybe there's was a little bit of cockiness, but I felt like I could do the job. You know, I've done the job before. This is what I do. You know, I wasn't really worried about that side of it because I, I had a good understanding of, how things worked, or at least how I thought they did in Toronto, and again, I was super fortunate in Toronto with the people around me. That was, treated it more like the way it should be treated with a cohesive unit of, you know, everybody participating (coughs) and everybody giving in input and what have you, and your opinion being heard. And not to say that that didn't happen in Anaheim, but just, just different, you know, a different experience. And I think reality kind of set in when you know, I was being interviewed for a local paper and they said, well, you're going to win the Stanley cup this year. And I started to believe that a little bit, you know, and anybody who's been through that 82 game schedule, if someone tells you you're going to win before the season even starts, they're probably wrong. So, uh, you know, that first year we got eliminated from the playoffs in the first round. And obviously nobody was happy about that. And I was just still kind of shell shocked from just from the year of, of, you know, being gone so much and missing a lot at home and, um you know it was it was definitely definitely not what I thought it was going to be you know I didn't realize how much the travel at the at that level would be so so demanding you know getting home at four in the morning getting woken up by these three at at 6 a.m because they missed me they didn't care if I slept you know so it was you know it was definitely an eye-opener in that sense where Toronto I didn't really experience that because I only traveled a little bit in Toronto and I drove there every day, you know, it was just part of a commute and it wasn't, it was just different, a different experience. And, hmm. um, you know, the, I, I saw someone on your Twitter asked after you kind of posted our picture. And one of the questions from a young coach was, I want to know how I get uh, as a young Canadian strength coach, how, what's the pathway to the NHL? And, you know, I, I don't laugh, but it's, I wish I could talk to that coach and just tell him what it is like. And I've had some great experience and I wouldn't trade at all anything for it because it's making me a better coach, better man, better husband, all that kind of stuff. But there are some realities that a lot of these young coaches don't understand and the things that you have to put up with. And if it was just about strength and conditioning, that's so different. That's,
0: hmm.
1: but it's not. And you know that as well. It's, it's people managing it's, managing situations it's it's management it's you know it's load management if you want to call it that it's (laughs) you know it's all those things um you know so i think the biggest realization is that every organization is different and every team is different even every year is different you know i'm sitting in my office here and i got team pictures from all the different years and i look at each one of them and you know they're, they're polar opposites from one year to the next you know yes there's some consistency in some things but most of the time it's just like it's starting fresh every year you know it's just like you wipe the board clean every year and it's whether it's play different players different staff different you know situations whatever you want to call it it's it's incredible how each year is its own you know individual thing it's pretty wild
0: Hmm. how's the weight of the responsibility Uh, to your athletes to your team to your family how do you distribute that in some sense because each of those things they're they have a weight to them you know you want to do the best job you can for the athlete you want to do the best job for the team you want to do the best job for your team and staff that you have at ets and as a businessman then you want to do your best job as your dad as a dad how does that weight carry on your back and and how have you distributed it in a way that allows you to continue to be functional so to speak? Okay, a short break here to tell you about our sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is for treatment skills and protocols and training methods and exercises like an operating system on a smartphone is for applications. Fundamentally, reconditioning brings the worlds of therapy and performance preparation together in one systematic process that makes treatment and training systems more efficient and effective. Level 1 takes you through the fundamental assessment process and gives you a tactical approach to eliminate any issue that stands in the way of your client's progress towards quality movement and a healthy and high-performing state. Level 2 goes deep on context, analyzing and understanding variable movement patterns, gaining clarity on key movement attributes, and being exceptionally precise about your interventions and strategies. It then links to the overall preparation program and becomes deeply considered of the context of that program and the environments of preparation. Finally, our Reconditioning Specialist Mentorship is a completely virtual experience you can engage in from the comfort of your home that allows you to benefit from our 50 years of professional practice in a high-quality community of practitioners. This eight-week program walks you through how to apply this powerful operating system in your environment and your circumstances. Irons out all the question marks and ensures you are ready to deliver the most effective reconditioning practice to your clients. Head over to reconditioninghq.com to see what our next courses are being held and when our next mentorship is starting. Join the reconditioning revolution.
1: Mm, good question. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I figured coffee. it out. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. yeah, a lot of coffee. A lot of coffee. Um, I think I'll start. I'll start at home, and I think I'm still working on that because, you know, I, I love what I do. I, I really do. I love coaching. I love, you know, helping people. Like I said, and uh, yes, it's a unique way of helping people, and it's you know, all pro athletes and this and that. But really, is at the end of the day, it's it's still helping people, and I think that's. I always kind of go back to that. You know, if I get into a situation that's overwhelming or what have you. It, it's i like helping people and part of those people is my family and and making sure that i'm present and you know having some i guess downtime from in the the last little while after not going back with anaheim it's it's been pretty amazing because i've been around you know i've been around and my kids notice it i haven't missed a single hockey practice Mm -hmm. with my son and you know as before i would i I remember missing you know, three weeks of games because I was gone and just the way that our schedule worked and no complaining, but just that was the reality, you know? And I think being home and being present and you know, something on my wall right now is be where your feet are. And I'm working on that and I'm working on being where I am, being present. And there's a lot of different ways to say it and what have you. But for me, that's be where your feet are. And I've been really trying to do that lately. And it's, it shows, you know, it shows in my relationships, with my kids. And, you know, when you get off a two week road trip and you're tired and you tend to be a little more snappy and a little more uh, easily aggravated, or at least I do. And, you know, I don't find myself doing that anymore. And that's, to me, that's very, it's a good thing. It's a very positive thing. Um, so, you know, managing that with, with when I, when I was with the team was very difficult, you know, and, Because of the you know the pressure of the rink and the game and the team that doesn't leave you know and I'm not very good at not bringing it home, Mm -hmm. so you know that was a tough part and now that that's kind of removed and there's always other pressures and what have you but it's just it's just been different which I really enjoy so um, you know in terms of the team and the and the guys and you know right or wrong people would agree or disagree with me who are in the field but my job is to support the players, you know, and yes, I'm hired by the team. And I I respect that. Obviously And I, I don't do anything or I wouldn't do anything that's outside of the, you know, requirements of my job or my role, but realistically I'm, I'm there to take care of the players. And I don't mean take care like baby and pamper and all that stuff. It's more, I'm assessing, you know, 24 hours a day. I see those guys more than I see my kids when I was working, you know, so it was, I know them very well. You know, and it's as soon as that doors open, or as soon as those gym doors open in the morning, it's as each guy comes through my doors, it's assessment. It's looking at language. It's looking at eyes. And are these guys, you know, talkative today? Are they not? What's going on? You know, and I think that was, for me, it was less about strength and conditioning. It was more about just building those relationships with the guys so that when I did implement strength and conditioning things that I knew it would be done you know, and I knew that that trust was there because I took the time to get to know the guys more so than I worried about sets and reps or technology or whatever. And I think that was what allowed me to have really strong relationships with the players and still do. And, you know, I think that is, that's a lot, you know, that's a lot to take home with you when you're managing 25 guys on the roster, plus staff, plus management, and then you're coming home and you're managing three little people who are, you know, looking up to you and, and, looking at you for basically everything obviously the the wife part is important to make sure that uh you know she's happy and, and doing her thing and i'm supporting her which i'm, I'm sure i'm not going to win husband of the year award but um it's right it's probably more about effort than anything else um so i think you know the balancing or i mean I hate that word i think the i try to see, you know keep in a rhythm you know the work-life rhythm and you know, try to take my son to the rink whenever I can when we, we have the ability to do so so he can come and see what I do and you know all the players know who he is and uh, that was big for me just that integration of home and, and work uh, just to kind of alleviate some of that stress or you know displace it for at least a few hours whatever you want to call it but it, it's constant and I think that's again those I spoke about before with the young coaches asking or aspiring to be in the NHL it's it is a full full time job and it doesn't leave just because you have an off season. If you don't make the playoffs and you're done in April, it doesn't really mean anything because it just means that there's more player visits. There's more stuff to do. There's more panic around the following seat or the, the season that's coming up. There's more, there's always something and it's, mm-hmm. there's never really a lot of true, true downtime because it's, so it's, it's a business too, right? It's the way that these teams work now. It's, you know, trying to get their guys on the ice all the time, trying to, you know, player development is that role is massive now, whereas I, you probably didn't even have anybody when you were in the game. You know, it mm-hmm. was, it's incredible how much it changes and how much organizations just do more for the sake of doing more, mm-hmm. you know, because they're trying to keep up with the teams that are, you know, winning and what have you. But I think that, that, you know, that's another myth of this job is that it's, mm-hmm. oh, it's, Wait room and go home. Or it's, you know, it, oh, the summertime program, send a program and, you know, make sure that they're doing it. And like, no, that's not how it works. It's constant babysitting and not babysitting. It's a bad way to put it, but sometimes it is. Um, you know, hockey athletes are, are pretty phenomenal guys for the most part and pretty down to earth. So it's a lot easier to, you know, not convince them, but sell them on programs and sell them on, hey, you should work with this, this therapist or, hey, let's cut some weight this off season, you know, and again, it goes back to those, the time I spent initially building the relationships and building the trust and what have you. But yeah, I don't think it, I think being in the rhythm of trying to, you know, weigh different things throughout the season of, you know, what you're going to pay attention to or what you're going to put effort to, I think is probably what probably got me through Mm -hmm. (laughs) in that you worry about everything all the time. You're just going to, turned into a big ball of stress and I've seen it happen seen it happened right in front of me so I think I'm lucky to have good people around me to kind of keep me in check in that
0: sense how did you deal with like I'm, I'm curious and maybe it was different for you <clears throat> because of the sort of the generation that we were in the league at different times sort of thing but the to me the when I worked in the league, there was this kind of ask, you were, you were working with replaceable commodities versus assets. And I think that's changed mm-hmm. a little bit in the last little while, but talk to that a little bit like this, you know, and I'm sure it was different from the A to the N, you know, in the sense that the HL was a little bit more of a development sort of, uh, attitude, uh, certainly you had your vets around who, who weren't going anywhere, but most of the time the guys were aspiring to go to the next level. Was that a challenge for you when you'd worked in the A and, and, and there was more of an asset management sort of approach. And then you got to the NHL and it was more like these guys are, it's a, like you described a business and these guys are commodities and, and maybe there wasn't as much of that, or maybe there was I'm curious. Yeah, it's funny. It just depends. You know, it, it
1: depends on how the organization views the person. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a guy that they just drafted, and they're everybody's excited about him, and they want him to do this, this, and that, then he can do no wrong. You know, and he the the, the level of um, you know forgiveness that is given out to that athlete for a certain period of time is massive, massive. If they make a mistake, then okay, what are we doing to help it? Have we done enough, you know? And then mm-hmm. literally a year to a year and a half later, if it's not going the way they want, it's like, oh, this kid's a jackass and this kid's this and <laughs> not doing his work. And I'm like, oh my God, we loved this kid about eight months ago. What happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think they most organizations have a pretty distorted view of development. I think there's a few that are doing a really good job And it goes back to a a strength conditioning term, I believe, of slow cooking. You know, it's like long-term athletic development. You know, we had guys, I I tried to preach to our GM in both places that, um, you know, we want consistent improvement. We want somebody improving in all these buckets every year for our testing. All the testing that I did was athleticism based. You know, we never lifted any weights during testing. I'm not a believer in that. Some people are that's great and whatever. I I wanna show and showcase athleticism because I can't teach hockey. That would be a very terrible idea. But <laughs> I can I can I can add to athletic traits, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, power, you know, flexibility, durability, all those things. I can speak to all that. But I'll let our hockey coaches teach hockey because you know, the staffs that I've had the ability to work with have been amazing. You know, the, the insight and the coaching intuition made it incredible. And I'm sure you've experienced that too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I didn't want to, you know, blur the lines there. And I said to our 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 coaches in both places that all I want to see is improvement throughout the period of time. <clears throat> Most entry-level contracts are three years. I just want to see someone improving in every aspect over those course of three years. That tells me that they're maturing as athletes. You know, the body fat keeps going down, the power keeps going up, you know, all the whatever metrics you're going to look at. That's how I looked at it. And again, it, it's amazing how, how that changes depending on, you know, the year that the team had or the year that the individual had, or there's so many other factors that can, that can kind of feed into that. And I honestly feel bad for some of the junior players, especially the really talented ones, because they, they never get any time off as soon as they get drafted or the year before they get drafted, it's, I remember talking to one of our picks and and not so long ago. And it was, you know, you you haven't really had any time off in two years and the kid right away, more like three. And I was just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, let's talk about that. And this is a kid who wouldn't say whatever, if his mouth was full of it. And all of a sudden he's just, you know, I, I I obviously poked at a wound, you know, and he just opened up about how tired he is and how his hips are sore. And I'm just like, oh my God, what are we doing? You know, like what are we are we are we are we missing something here? Like it's you know, and I and I looked at myself obviously first and foremost and said, Okay, what can I do to help him now? You know, mm-hmm. so it's like integrating this, making sure he's getting enough rest and sleep hygiene and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that again I was lucky enough to kind of intervene on that one and and manage it before anything negative happened. But it's, it's a lot for these kids to get caught up at 17 years old of, okay, my next five years are going to not be mine. And yes, the rewards are, you know, pretty amazing. And, but at the same time, it's, you know, is it worth it for every one of those guys? You know, I I don't, I don't know. I, I would question that. And I think that's, you know, that that pathway to being a professional hockey player now more than ever is you can do it a million different ways. You can go play Canadian university hockey. You can go play in Europe and come back. Like there's the pathways have opened up like crazy, which is, I think is great because everybody develops a little bit differently. Some guys take five years in that development cycle. Some guys take eight, mm-hmm. you know, and or some guys take one. You know, it, it just depends on how you're built and how you handle all the skating and training and, you know, travel and what have you. And I think that's, you know, the really, the people that are doing development right are slow cooking and they're taking their time and they're teaching, you know, and I think that's, I know one of the things that I took pride in with with our development camps was this is about teaching. This isn't about conditioning or weightlifting. This is about teaching movement, teaching best practices, teaching habits around training, nutrition, sleep, what have you. And I think we've gotten, you know, the the most amount of feedback was when the sessions were structured in that way, when the time with us was structured in a way where, yeah, obviously we're going to work, but the focus is going to be education. And that, to me, again, it goes to the process, it goes to the concept of slow cooking and, and teaching and educating, because at the end of the day, you want, you know, after three years of entry level contract, you want a pro. You want to say that you're, you're now a pro player, you know how to take care of yourself. You know what your body needs. You know what you need. You know, you know, how, you know what I mean? Like you know how to communicate with people around you, the support network, the strength coach, the athletic therapist, the massage, whatever, you know what you need as a pro. And I think that's missed by a lot of development programs. And I think mm-hmm. that's a huge piece of value for, for any young athlete, hockey, especially.
0: Have you used a similar belief system around the people who work for you, slow cooking them and helping them sort of grow as people within your business model as well?
1: Yeah, and sorry, I, I tend to go off on tangents.
0: There, I forgot about ETS. Um, <laughs> not, not at all. <laughs> I'm I'm shifting you into those <laughs> tangents. <That's right>. Um... <laughs> The uh yeah, ETS is is
1: definitely the same, and it's it becomes a little more difficult with ETS, and in, in that, it, well, maybe not difficult, but it, it's the parallels are very or are, are, are funny because you know you get these young people, and we have a huge intern program from uh, a, one of my coaches who has really done an incredible job with it, and I think I think we've hired all the, all my last eight hires have come from the intern program, Mm -hmm. which to me means it's, it's a success. You know, we've gotten these people that have come into our culture. They've learned what we want them to learn or, or sorry, they've, they've adapted the way that we we've hoped that they would have adapted. They've learned, they've, they've become a coach, you know, they've become a level one coach, whatever you want to call it. And now they've given themselves the opportunity to get paid for it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's, you have to do that in order to get a job with us. The only other guy that I hired was um, based on a referral of a current employee, you know, so it was, again, it was easy, um, but keeping everybody in house and slow cooking them for a couple of years, it's to me in in the private side, it's almost an, it's almost a necessity because if I were to hire somebody from, uh, you know, outside our organization, but outside our, you know, little um, blip, on the radar, it's it's the whole teaching and assimilation process as to what we like to do is it's tough and it's a lot of work and it's a lot of man hours. And as you know, in a small business, you don't always have that luxury, you know, and it's I'd way rather have a coach that is not as technically sound, um, but knows the culture, knows how to act, is responsible, all those other things. And is just a good person. I'll give them way more opportunities because I know they can learn. Whereas you get someone who comes in is already have a, has a fixed mindset on what they think strength and conditioning is, is I don't want those people in our gym. You know, I want people that want to learn that want to be wrong a lot. And, you know, that are willing to kind of put themselves out there when our interns first start. Um, I haven't done it in a little while now, but, I would always, you know, hold a little open Q and A session for them and they get me asked, ask me some questions and stuff like that. And they all, you know, how do you, uh, how do you work with pro athletes? And I'm like, well, you, you teach the 12 and 14 year olds how to train first and you get really, really good at it. And you do it for a long time and then hopefully you get an opportunity. And that's obviously not the answer that they want to hear, <laughs> uh, you know, but it's, it, it's one that I'm not shy in saying because I truly believe that it, if you can't coach the simple, simple stuff really, really well, you don't have a hope in hell in in coaching the technically extravagant or, or whatever uh, complicated things at a high, high level, because mm-hmm. you got one shot. And especially if you got some of these athletes that just they want to know they want to know the ins and outs. They're very technically proficient. They don't want to they don't want any of the BS. They just want the goods. Mm -hmm. If you can't deliver on that in a simplistic way, you're going to lose them, you know, and I think that's, that's a big miss. So yeah, when it comes to, you know, cooking our coaches or slow cooking our coaches, it's, it's something that I pay close, close attention to. And, you know, there's different levels of responsibility within ETS that you, you kind of achieve, you know, once you get to that, you can run your own program, you can, you know, be in charge of one of our big programs and, that's a big deal because at the end of the day, if there's no money in the bank, then I can't pay people, you know, and I think I am so lucky to have the team that I do because that message is delivered down right to, you know, first day intern. And, uh, you know, I think without a team of people kind of reinforcing those things, it'd be more like a dictatorship and there's obviously not too many good things that come out of a dictatorship. So, Um, my team is you know that same message is is shared and it's not I like how the message is similar but it's different with each individual coach you know Mm -hmm. the coaches that are my full-time employees or what have you they they do it in their own way but it always leads back to what's best for our business and uh, what's best for growing our ETS brand or whatever you want to call it it's you know that's at the forefront and I think that that helps drive coaching, that helps drive culture, that helps drive, you know, how people are treated in our gym. And then again, I, I had a staff meeting, I was in Toronto about a month and a half ago. And I, I, I always say it and I get a lot of eye rolls, but I like the eye rolls, so I don't care. Um, you know, the screen conditioning the business we're in is a customer service based business. It doesn't matter if your squat program is the best, if you, technically best x's and o's coaches doesn't matter it's customer service you know so when we get interns it's like hey for the next two weeks you're just going to meet people don't coach anybody anything you're just going to meet people Hmm. and make sure that you know their name they know your name and you're polite and just watch take notes watch what you see ask lots of questions and the people that do those things are the ones that have full-time jobs with us now you know and they do them consistently and i think that's I know a lot of really smart coaches that are struggling with their business or financially or what have you, because they don't understand that part of it. it is customer service when you, and I tell my coaches all the time, the best part of someone's day should be when they leave our hands, right? How good do you feel? There's no better job in the world after a workout like that, that the high, the endorphins, all, you know, all the physiological stuff, but you're the best part of someone's day make sure you realize that, you know, like you're the, literally the best part. Like, yes, there's amazing jobs, police officers, firefighters, but they see some terrible stuff and they have to deal with some terrible stuff. Not to say that they, that's all they do, but you know, for us, it's, we get to kind of kick off people's days or, you know, end people's days on a really high note or, you know, help somebody achieve a physical thing that they didn't think they could, you know? So it's, just don't forget that this isn't a clock punching job. This is a customer service based job where you have an incredible opportunity to really be impactful in someone's life. And even if it's just for an hour, so sometimes that's all people need usually it's all people need
0: <laughs> here again with another word from our sponsors zenkai sports who want to let you in on a little secret performance apparel hasn't changed much in the last 20 years most apparel is still based on moisture wicking synthetics which not only make you more overheat faster but are toxic for your body and the environment synthetics don't biodegrade so that stinky workout shirt you have to throw out after six months it lasts for thousands of years in landfills Zenkai is the only cotton-based training apparel on the market, keeping your body safe from those scary petroleum-based synthetics found in most workout gear and giving you that extra edge when it counts. Be a part of the solution and join the revolution for better apparel technology at www.zenkaisports.com. What's in your ZNA? For 20% off your entire order, please use the discount code LYM20. Speaking of... Uh, you know, being impactful in people's lives, who's who's left an impact in, on you in terms of influencing your career or uh, the professional that you are today um, that, that you sort of looked up to or, or gained measure from in some sense?
1: Well, I, you know what, I'm really lucky. I think I have uh, a, a large amount of people that I look to and continue to look to for advice. And, um, you know, I think you go through different, phases of mentorship, whether you, you know, technical mentorship from guys like Stu McGill and um, Mike Boyle, obviously, you know, guys that are showing you how to, you know, take care of people in terms of the X's and O's and and making sure even a guy like Charles Poliquin, I, I, I followed for a long time because I believed in, in what he was doing and how intelligent he was and the way that he was doing things and the way that he would explain things really, resonated with me um you know I think that on the technical side there's there's so many people that are doing amazing things that are uber talented but on the life side I think again a guy like Mike Boyle uh, a guy like Todd Durkin who you know they're slightly older than me and they've been through some things um and you look at for me more than anything especially for guys like Mike and Todd you look at not just their gym business and their, you know, their professionalism or their, um, their career necessarily, but you look at the relationships they have with their families and their kids and their, how involved they are in their kids' lives. And and to me, that's, that's success. And you'll see coaches in our industry that you know are doing really well financially, but they're an absolute mess otherwise, you know, and it's, I don't know. I, I, I don't want that. I'd rather have a, you know, the family thing figured out, and and yeah, I want to obviously want to be successful in business, but I think it's hard to kind of do one without the other, you know. And I think that's or it's it's a lot less fulfilling, and it's a lot less, you know, it's a little more empty if you're just you know looking for money and looking for um, accolades and what have you. Um, I, I think really to the guys that have achieved that work life rhythm. Are are the ones that I kind of aspire to now more than ever. I think as a young coach, you know, you 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 look up to guys that are just big time, you know, that have made it, that are in the NHL or in the NFL or you know, training lots of uh, people privately or what have you. But uh, realistically, I look for for me, it's more are they well rounded? You know, do they have other aspects of their lives figured out? You know, every time I went to Boston, I I go have lunch with Mike Boyle and. Um, you know, he's one of those guys that just, he thinks so far outside the box in terms of, yeah, the gym business, he's going to, I think he's coming up on 20 years next summer or 20 or 25th summer at, at Mike Ball Strength Conditioning, which is incredible. But he said to me, you know, he's got other interests, you know, he's got other business even that you wouldn't even know about that. And to me, I love that because that just shows Again, the fitness business is great, but I want to divide. I want to diversify. I want to make sure that I'm making money in other areas and, and growing, you know, my business acumen in other areas and making sure that, um, you know, that I'm not just tunnel vision on fitness. And yes, so obviously, fitness is predominantly in my life. But a guy that I really look up to is uh, Matt Shear. He's the um, uh, he runs Under Armour Canada. So he's a vice president of Under Armour globally. Him and I are good friends and obviously I have a long-standing relationship with Under Armour. Um, And and a big part of it is to do with him. And he was a guy that, hey, I want to open a gym. This is obviously a long time ago. And he said, all right, here's a business plan 101, this huge, like old school uh, computer program that I had downloaded onto my laptop. And it probably took me, it took me months. It took me months to do it to go through all the SWOT analysis and to all the numbers and all this stuff. And I think I probably presented it to him six or seven times. And every time he's like, no, this is, this doesn't make sense. No, you're not doing this right. And He pushed me to do the business side first and do it properly so that it was a money-making business, not just, Hey, I got a gym, you know, come up, come over and train or, you know, I won't charge you, you know, stuff like that, which happens a lot in our field, you know, and there's nobody that doesn't pay at our gym. Even my brother, he may pay in other ways because he teaches us uh, CPR certification or whatever, but it's, it's a business you have to treat it as such. And when I finally did a good job with it and, you know, he kind of gave it his stamp of approval. I was lucky enough to get partnered up with, uh, a businessman who helped me out financially who forced me again to treat it like a big business. We had a three month rolling forecast. We had, you know, spreadsheets on top of spreadsheets, but it, it, it built our business, you know, and it, it made it pretty, Hey, you can see what's coming in, in the next three months. You can see who owes us money. Like it's again, it, well, CrossFit didn't help, but people just randomly opening gyms and figuring people just show up. Like that's not a, that's not a good plan, you know? And mm. I think, Having some mentors from not only the fitness field but from the business side of it too was was massive for me and still is you know and I, as I look to kind of take the next step in my career and and see what's next for us and our family and even for me on the business side it's I'm glad I did those things because it 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 broadens my uh, my focus quite a bit in terms of yeah obviously i'll be in the fitness world and what have you, but I'm not going to limit myself to that. I'm not going to limit myself to just fitness stuff because there's a lot of other ways to, to, you know, grow and make money or create impact or or whatever you want to call it. And I think that's, I'm still looking for mentors. You know, I, I still try and even Mike, I was just on the phone with not that long ago and seeing what he's doing and you know, he's coming up on 60 now. And I'm like, well, where are you, where's your head at when you're 60? You know? And I think for me, it's, I'm a big planner, and it's just like I like having that perspective of okay what do you what are you thinking about when you're sixty? What are you thinking about when you're fifty? you know where's where should my focus lie now? I just turned forty? you know like what th- those are the type of things that kind of keep me excited about what I do, and I think you know having people that influence that in a positive way is is pretty powerful.
0: That's awesome. I'm going to read this, my segue point for my book that I discovered a number of years ago called The Day You Were Born. So this is your horoscopic purpose. You're a Taurus 3, May 12th, correct? You were born? Mm -hmm. Your purpose is to believe in yourself and take your place as a leader, never losing touch with your sense of humbleness, which comes with the acceptance of fate. There is no great genius without some touch of madness, Edgar Varese. The Taurus three person has his own laws, and God help anyone who interferes. When talented, no one can touch them. Bert Bacharach is, an, is a musical league of his, of his own, and singer James Brown. Excessiveness can be exhibited since Jupiter tends to enlarge, expand, or support whatever it encounters. <clears throat> the Taurus three dynamic asks people to own their own importance—that is, to know their beliefs and not to depend on the opinions of others. They can be attuned to social change, and if truth and justice are their strengths, they might find themselves at the helm of a revolution. Determining their own boundaries is paramount in their growth. Otherwise, they may feel overwhelmed and victimized. However, if boundaries are overdeveloped, the touristry may find that their beliefs are in conflict with others or the law. The tourist threes call the shots however once the ball is in motion it is out of their hands if they have chosen wisely the results will bring home runs if not their friends will be writing to them in the care of a bureau of prisons <laughs> hmm. Interesting.
1: that's really cool
0: <laughs> amazing how accurate those are <laughs> <laughs> it's a little scary actually right? that's why i do them yeah time. it is it's fun um would you describe if if you use the definition of introvert and extrovert as the person who's introverted kind of gets their energy from secluding themselves or being alone and extrovert gets their energy from others what would you describe yourself as
1: Whew. i don't know i I think I tend to hang out in the middle mm-hmm. I think it's really situational dependent mm-hmm. you know i i I definitely uh, enjoy my alone time and you know I'm an early riser usually up at five or five thirty in the morning to you know because our house around six thirty, this house just starts buzzing so you don't really have a choice at that point uh, but that solitude time is definitely important to me I, I try to get in the journaling and some you know the 10 minute meditation stuff and if I have a really good day I've, I've accomplished those two things so you know I think the the alone time is definitely powerful Especially if you have some of that really good coffee. Um, but again, I think I think there's so much value in being around other like minded, driven people. Uh, I just had lunch with Chris Poirier and um, Thomas Plummer, and uh, I didn't know the other guys, but the fitness professional people. They were in Long Beach, and we met up about a couple things. And, you know, just sitting around that table, especially with a guy like Tom, who's just brilliant in a lot of different ways and um you know just just shooting the shit and just and just kind of talking about you know what's going on and what's next and all that kind of stuff and I walk out of those situations and I'm invigorated you know and I on the drive home I'm you know making voice notes to myself and reminding myself to do x y and z so it's um I I think there's a ton of value in both and I, I wouldn't say I'm I'm too far one way or the other I know for me, if I, I, I try to force myself into the social or the extroverted situations more, I think probably naturally I'm more introverted, but um, there'd be situations where you wouldn't know that about me. You know what I mean? I think it's just situationally dependent. Uh, mm-hmm. I can In university, I, I took very poor grades because I wouldn't get up in front of the class, believe mm-hmm. it or not. I just, it, it petrified me, you know, it just scared the hell out of me, but now I get paid to get up and talk in front of a lot of people. And I, Mm -hmm. and I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. It's, it's kind of an odd thing, but now even my parents, the first few times I did it, they, they couldn't believe that I was doing it, you know, and now it's kind of, you know, normal for me to talk, you know, 10 to 15 times a year and, and what have you. And again, it's something that I, I look for those opportunities because I do really enjoy it. And I think, Uh, you know, especially now that I, ha- I have the experience, but even when I didn't have the experience, I enjoyed it, you know, so it was, I don't know, maybe it's just one of those things that I'm, I'm kind of meant to do. And, uh, you know, I think I'm pretty good at it, or at least people keep wanting me to do it. So it must mean something. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, it, it depends on the phase of my life or the, or the, the week or the day or what have you, mm-hmm. but definitely more towards the introvert, but I can be the extrovert if, if I need to be.
0: Last question. I, I know you've gone through sort of a relatively difficult time this past summer uh, with some life changes and stuff. What, what is, what is sort of the light bulb for you in that? And where, where are you going now in life? Is is there a sort of a direction, or are you just taking pause right now at this point, and in, in being with family and stuff?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, when it, when something like that happens, when it's out of your control, it's tough. It definitely is tough, and for me though it was tough and it it has been tough but I realized that I didn't want to be there anymore Mm. you know and I wasn't enjoying it like the way that I feel like I should and you know a lot of great people there and you know there's some other types of people there too which won't get into but it's one of those situations that as it grew and grew and grew it just wasn't for me anymore and I stopped enjoying it and I think that was a that was a big wake up call for me. And, you know, am I going to spend the rest of my life doing, or at least a good chunk of my life doing this and not really enjoying it, not enjoying it like I should. And I think a lot of guys are in that situation, whether they'll admit it or not. You know, I've had those conversations with other coaches around the league that, you know, you can't just quit, right? Like, you can't just quit. And I was on the verge of doing that. And it was tough for me because i didn't want to leave that financial piece because i got a family to support you know and yeah i make money from other areas but you know we're, we're living here in california it's an expensive place to live but you can't just you know throw caution to the wind and, and not have a job anymore you know mm-hmm. so um you know when it did happen I, I honestly i felt relieved you know because i can kind of take this burden off my shoulders and, and kind of move forward mm-hmm. and you know, my wife said something to me that was very eye-opening she's like you know you've had your head down for 10 years and that was you know with the leafs and then opening the business and then taking this job and now that i've kind of come up for air in these last few months it's it's a lot to kind of filter through and, and kind of start to remember some of this stuff and
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know a lot has happened you know i've grown the gym and you know i You know, hired more people. I just hired another full time guy, and you know, those are to me. I feel good about stuff like that. And there's a lot of good that's happened, but there's a lot of I'd say negative. But there's other aspects that have happened that have not been as positive. And you know, I I start to evaluate those situations. Like, have have I learned from those situations? Am I still doing some of those behaviors that maybe got me into those situations? And it's been a very unique experience thus far and just kind of figuring out what's next and I know one thing for sure is that whatever is next the 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 way that that is going to be decision is going to be made is going to be made first and foremost with what's best for my family Hmm. Um, I feel fortunate I know I can always work Uh, I feel like I'm good at what I do and I care about what I do and I know I can always work and then to me that's that answers a big question or that fills a big gap, you know, and whatever else is whatever else it's the kids making sure that they're growing up somewhere where that they can be successful and happy and close to family and all that kind of stuff. And unfortunately it shames me to say it, but that wasn't the top of my mind when I made a few other decisions, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think if anything, I'm grateful for that perspective and grateful that I'm, I'm able to make that decision now as to where we want to go as a family and and what I want to do as a professional and, and what have you. And that's it's pretty powerful.
0: Good on you. Well, sir, thank you for taking an hour with me. I know uh, hours are precious in our lives, so uh, I always feel um, blessed to, to get to spend some time with anybody I respect in the industry. So thanks for your time, Mark. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pay, and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de saint Rome.